Yo guys, good morning. So last night, Zoe and I decided to do quite an impulsive recording together with our good friend Jorn van Zwanenburg. Jorn is a token economist and crypto researcher who currently lives in Norway. And the reason why we decided to do this talk is obviously the current state of affairs uh, with Bitcoin hitting 55k during this talk. Um, Tesla, Dogecoin, Elon Musk, GameStop, all these things that are right now going on. We talk about this on a daily basis in Telegram, Signal and WhatsApp chats. But we also thought it would be extremely interesting to see how we yeah, how we communicate within a Zoom room. So you can also see the current uh, opinions we have or the projects we are, are following closely. And we also work on a different project, Jorn and I, uh, called Blocklog. This is a Dutch weblog on which we try to explore the, the new crypto opportunities within the blockchain space. And yeah, for me, this chat is so, it's so amazing to do because I am definitely the noob in, in this company, as you also see in the, in this chat with Zoe being the CTO of a crypto exchange and Joran being invested in more than 60 projects right now. So yeah, I learn a lot here, uh, as you will see with the, uh, the example of zero knowledge proofs uh, that Jorn's bring, uh, Jorn brings forth in this episode. I've never even heard of this. And yeah, that's why it's, it, it's such an opportunity for me to learn. And I hope for you as well. So the, the level may be a bit more, uh, bit more uh, high level than, than the chats I have with Zoe, because then we really dive into specific concepts, but yeah, this, this is just blasting. Uh, it's just guys chatting on the current state of affairs and, and things they're watching. That's enough introduction, definitely. So just enjoy. First off, I think we should definitely dive into what the hell is going on right now. Because we just hit an all-time high with Bitcoin. And I'm looking at the charts right now, almost at 55K. What's going on, guys? Who wants to uh, <laughs> give his view on this? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to to really... Uh, I think in our last episode, he also mentioned, at least for me personally, I wonder what you think, Jordan, because I know that you're, uh, you're like very much into the actual developments, uh, but it, it's 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 hard to judge like what, what, what is really going on. It's like institutional investments are just increasing and the news of, of these events is like... Uh, is constantly going around. And I think that just creates a lot more uh, trust. Uh, also from kind of a very big like mid segment of, of retail investors um, that have previously been a lot more risk averse. And we're waiting for, or like unconsciously maybe, waiting for, uh, for signs like this. And there seems to be some kind of uh, effect where of course the price itself can be, or the price increase can be maintained, the volume can be maintained because the retail investors get more trust. And then on top of that, uh, institutional investments uh, keep going on as well. And there, it seems to be like a, how do you say that? Like an effect between these two, two panels. But honestly, it's hard for me to, to judge anything like rationally. What, what, what do you guys think? Like, what are you seeing besides FOMO and, you know, money? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing, um, I'm seeing sort of a snowballing effect that um, it started with the happening in my perspective. 
So with the halfening, the supply kind of dried up. Well, it went to a half, right? But it's um, the, the the whole coronavirus with the money printing created this aware, awareness that maybe, you know, the dollar isn't scarce. And then the stock market going like rallying straight after the corona crash, you know, while well, the economy was in turmoil. I think that that also created a lot of, I think people, you know, you have this paradigm with money and I think people were just kind of assuming that money would always be money. And after what happened with the Corona crisis and the like unprecedented amount of money printing, I think that kind of made people question money. So the demand was gradually there and the supply dried up, like the supply, supply went through half. So I think that's kind of what ignited this whole thing. And then from there on, it just started snowballing. Balling, right you got this micro strategy ceo michael saylor who's just a publicly listed company in the u.s and just saying like hey i'm, go I'm gonna put 500 million dollars into bitcoin i'm gonna put it on my balance sheet the, um, but the fact that he does that like it's very ballsy you know and it's, it's very high risk and i th i think even though i'm a bitcoin proponent i think it's very irresponsible <laughs> i think it's not a yeah, yeah, in a, in a way, you know, like I think you have to diversify. And I think the fact that they didn't put gold on their balance sheet to hatch their Bitcoin risk, because, you know, I'm a long term Bitcoin bull. And I think Bitcoin will become a digital reserve currency, but I do think it's super volatile. So I think, you know, if, if your statement is, you know, the, the dollar is going to inflate itself away, then you should diversify that like the opposite side of that. And I think gold should have a place on there in a way, just, just because it's too volatile. But I do think that the way that the fact that he did it and the fact that he could really shifted the perspective for a lot of people from magic internet money to a real thing. Like this, people are doing this. And I think, you know, like all those effects combined is, is just snowballing, you know, in, in, in Bitcoin, you got a lot of uh, reflexivity. This is um, an investing term that, you know, price price goes up and that legitimizes why people buy. So they buy more, price goes more up and it kind of gets into this positive positive spiral, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing. And right now it's just, the inflow is massive, right? Like the inflow of new users, all these exchanges are overwhelmed by new user accounts and the and transaction volume. And you see Ethereum transaction, uh, transaction costs spiking, Bitcoin transaction costs spiking. So yeah, it's real. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's very real and it's very big. So, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, to, to hook, in, hook into that, you said um, like micro strategy, they had to also diversify into gold. Is what Tesla is doing right now more what you are, are, are supporting? Because they, they also say, hey, we're going to put something in gold and other, other asset classes. It, it, it makes more sense, right? Because... Obviously, if you look at the Bitcoin graph, it's amazing for us, right? And this this all-time high is great. But we all know Bitcoin and we all know what can happen with, with a flip of a switch, right? We, we can have the U U.S. regulators say, like, putting really stringent regulations. Or they can just tell companies, like, you can't put that much on your balance sheet. Like, it has to be 2% or it has to be this, like, this amount of your trading volume of your stock. Like, they can put all these regulations in place. And that can crash the price of Bitcoin. With gold, that's not the case. Like gold, gold's been around for like 5,000, 6,000 years. And you just know what you're getting with gold. And in terms of price, you, you just don't with Bitcoin. So like, obviously for me personally, I think it's, it's brilliant. And I think it's really, really good. 
that these companies are buying and putting it on the balance or on their balance sheet. But it does, especially Tesla, you know, given the company's history, it does seem like also a very strong marketing move. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah, but okay, okay, but do you think it's irresponsible to put just Bitcoin on the balance sheet or do you think they should diversify more? Because uh, I, I think yesterday Ray Dalio's company, BlackRock, also uh, said they are dabbling into Bitcoin. BlackRock's not from Ray Dalio, right? I think it's... it's it, no, 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 it, it was BlackRock. No, uh, Ray Dalio is from... Um, from Waterstones. Oh, yeah, Waterstones. Uh, oh, Bridgewater, sorry. sorry Bridgewater right. Associates. Yeah. Bridgewater, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, but, the, but dabbling, like for these institutional investors, dabbling means 0.1% of their, their um, portfolio, right? Yeah. So for us, that's like, it's still billions of dollars, but for them, that's, that's peanuts. Like they can lose that in a day. Yeah, okay. But still, like if all companies start to just put 0.01% into Bitcoin. Yeah, so to hook into that, one of the like thoughts I've been playing around recently is I've been taking some time to look a little bit into uh, what the plan is around Mika. So the uh, markets and crypto assets, for, uh, the upcoming European regulation that um, should or is intended to be in effect uh, in 2024. And of course, that's like that. That's as far as I can see in terms of risks, that's like one of the largest risks, at least for us here in the EU. And also in terms of sentiment to to what we're what we're going to be seeing as an effect and it seems like they're very uh almost hell-bent on uh, uh stable coins rather than uh you, you know all these other crypto assets um but it's there's a very strong focus of course on um accountability for for all of these yeah decentralized organizations that are completely incompatible with the with the legal system but it does seem like as you just said, Jorn, like the fact that uh, it's a ballsy move when these institution, institutional players start putting money in there and it's, it's partly irresponsible, but I, I can't stop thinking that maybe part of the strategy perhaps is also to, before regulation can actually kill it, um, in, involve enough companies, like literally actually have enough of the economy be dependent on the value of that asset so that there becomes like, it becomes a checks and balances thing, right? Like regulation cannot have such a disastrous effect on consumers or the economy so they have to like adapt and if we can be you know if we can fast be faster than the regulation then ideally we can safeguard some of the some of the value that we have in crypto assets maybe that's also what they're thinking but absolutely i, I don't know if you've heard about that conference that michael saylor set up in miami uh no i haven't what, what's that about then Exactly this, like his plan was um, he invited every single um, CFO from every Fortune 500 company to this conference and it was all about Bitcoin. So all about informing Bitcoin, why does it, uh, why did he invest in Bitcoin, what's the value proposition, what's the long-term vision, how can you technically do this with your company treasury and how can you get this past stakeholders or shareholders. So he, he, di he did this and I think that's like that's his strategy behind this, like as soon as he can get enough Fortune 500 companies to get this, the like the more companies join, the less likely like really really harsh regulation is. That's yeah. That's such such a sick uh, like move to to kind of game, uh, gaming the system literally. But but they're also part of the system. It's it's a beautiful sight to see. Yeah 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 definitely. Crazy. All right, and um, then price wise, of course this is um, we don't have a crystal ball or anything, but right now it seems to get absolutely crazy and people are also asking me like, Hey, shouldn't there be a drop? Um, 
how far can we expect or anticipate this thing to go in, in the coming bull run? It's, you know what I've been thinking about a lot? It's, is it summer of 2017 or is it January of 2018? Like, I don't know if you remember yeah. that whole period. Yeah, yeah. 2017, you know, there was a massive run up, a lot of money flowing in, and then it crashed super hard because China banned Bitcoin. Like, it rebounded really quickly as well, but th there was a severe crash, like 30%, 40%. And then to obviously January 2018, the, the whole bubble deflated and we had a crypto winner for three years. So basically, if, if I look at it, we, we're from all factors and everything that I can compare, we're in summer 2017. Yeah. Yeah, same. Like all the ch the charts, they they hint at that. Yeah, like we're 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 definitely like it looks like it's bubbly, but that's just because the numbers are so big. Yeah, like the I, I think the biggest retracement was forty percent still, and that's completely in line with previous bull runs. So if we compare it to that, then yeah, we can go way way beyond where we are right now. I was just yeah. thinking, and I've talked with this. Um, about this with you, Zoe, in Tenerife a few months back. And right. I just had a, a small uh, chat with, with Jorn on that. What could stop it right now? Like, what are the things that could stop it right now? And I thought of three things back then that was um, world peace, like everything, <laughs> you know, works out well, then we don't need uh, any, anything like Bitcoin anymore. I thought maybe quantum computing, because I hear a lot about that. I am definitely not an expert on, on that topic so i don't know if that's a real threat but for me the biggest threat seems to be just regulation and i'm curious to to yeah to hear how you guys think about that yeah i mean we've already spoken about it a little bit of course i mean uh of course of all, of all these options i would definitely prefer the peace one and that would be that would be pretty pretty rad uh, pretty bad for us <laughs> yeah, actually, that's also true. <laughs> we're, we're opposed to peace, literally, because we're invested in crypto. That, that might be a good... You, but, but I think that's very interesting. Do you think so? Like, I, I, I don't think that, that crypto and Bitcoin is per se this, this, how do you say, like this ambassador of chaos, right? I, I think it's more like an insurance against this money printing. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, 100% it's insurance against money printing. I mean... Uh, I couldn't agree more. That's one of the main reasons I still, uh, I, I believe in, in crypto. Uh, well, one of the many reasons, I guess, but it's kind of both, right? In, in a way, as in, I don't know, it's, it's very personal, but I see money um, in, in most cases, like any form that I've, I've personally seen so far as a pretty big proponent of chaos. Um, but that's just because money is, is, you know, to not be like too, too kind of, esoteric but it's kind of like energy right it's 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 just potential consequences it's just all energy potential so it, the fact that we have we have that in bitcoin at some point I, I don't know it's it's i i keep seeing similar patterns as in eventually it will it will centralize to to an extent and then we will need to have the next bitcoin and we'll just need to have to have cycles of this right and let's just you have to be one of the lucky uh, lucky few that adopted early on what do you uh, mean with that with it will centralize so generally what you see in, well, at least what I see in, in, uh, on multiple levels, it's, it's just like a system property, right? So when you have a system that grows, um, at some point it will start centralizing. You just have yeah. competition in the system and it just always happens. And the more a system grows, proportional to that, uh, it becomes harder or like more energy uh, uh, con consumptive to maintain 
that central structure, at some point it, it, it kind of implodes uh, because you have just too, uh, too much energy needed to actually maintain structure. You see it with governments as well. Uh, and ideally you have some kind of, and that's why democracy is probably a pretty rad idea. And de decentralization is even way more epic regarding that, uh, is that you have a constant change. So it's like there's a constant development in, in centralization. And as long as you have that, you don't get accumulative centralization. But um, actually the other points you mentioned were pretty like, you know, regulation being one of the major risks might be uh, worth going into because I wonder how do you guys think, um, what role does crypto potentially have to play after regulation has kicked in? Like, can we, can we see a world where it would both work? Well, I, I think I think regulation is um, Wall Street wants to get in. From from what I get is that Wall Street and big hedge funds and big institutional players want to get in, but they just can't touch it. Like they're just bound by regulation and regulatory requirements and the way the industry is handled, the way that the unregulated nature. You know, there's a lot of bad actors in the space still. So they they need to regulate it for a lot of big parties to get in in an in an appropriate way. So what I, th I think regulation actually legitimizes it. Right now it's unregulated. So there's no, no real legitimacy to it in a way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because th that's, you know, it's not, it's not acknowledged as a currency. Like it has some legal status, you know, as a commodity there and as a currency there and there's nothing, you know, in a lot of places. Yeah. So regulating it would actually put a, like a legal stamp on it. So it, it would make it a lot more usable but it would also destroy kind of the, the ethics and philosophies that it was built upon. So in one way, I think it will be very bad for the ideology for Bitcoin, but I think it will be extremely good for the price. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. It's just, it's, it's such a kind of a hard to predict story because on the one hand, like it, it, crypto is still a little bit seen as, and I'm noticing that because of course, we, we operate now kind of on the edge between the traditional financial world, like as being Bucks crypto and, and the crypto world. And, you know, in the more startups uh, field of fintech, crypto is completely uh, accepted and it's pretty cool. But still for like the more centralized you get, the more you kind of feel sometimes as, you're, as if you're seen as a cowboy. It's like, it's like cowboy money. And, and they just, they're thinking like, that, that's just risky shit. We want to get away from it. Uh, it's associated with money laundering. The, still, the same sentiment is still at the hardcore sometimes. Um, at some point when these regulators start to, uh, start to yeah, say it, it's okay or we accept it within certain bounds and they don't classify it as a security or something like that because that would pr be, be pretty disastrous uh, in, in, in many cases, of course, then it would be really cool to see, to see it grow. But uh, honestly, I still can't imagine a scenario where regulation is not like the largest risk. Uh, it seems like the only ways to drive the price up is to escape that. No. All right. Uh, I, sorry. The, yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, sorry. Like, how are you guys um, anticipating like regulation? How how are you guys working on that? Because you also face a lot of struggles with this, right? You mean at the buck side? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, struggles. Yeah, in general, I think. Uh, there's, there's, there's kind of like three layers to it. Like on the one hand, we have the Netherlands, then we have the EU that's kind of lagging behind. And then you have probably the most uh, media worthy is, is what happens in the US with the SEC and stuff. Um, but then here in the Netherlands, it's, it's as you probably know, it's, it's, pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty heavy uh, comparable to, to other 
uh, other member states, uh, what the Netherlands is doing in terms of the demands to, to crypto companies, it's, it's pretty strict. Um, so yeah, you, you can definitely see the risk there. I mean, if you look at the, the numbers, the amount of companies that have quit or, or, or just given up or maybe re or relocated uh, in the Netherlands is pretty, pretty big since the, uh, um, the enforcement came into effect. So yeah, it's, it does more damage than good. I think maybe but, in a few years it's different. But, but that's that. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because that's that's what I've been I've been kind of like I was there with you, but I kind of started changing my mind over the past couple of months because I was like, okay, regulation will be very like will kill crypto in a way, right? But we are on the we are the early adopters in a sense. You know, we are using this, we are working with it. But for 95%, this is super risky and strange. And, you know, they, they just, like, they, they, they want their assurances. So I think for the hardcore decentralization, pseudo-anonymity, and, you know, peer-to-peer -peer and disintermediation and no more banks, like that group, I think they will drop off. You know, they will create their own fully anonymous, private cryptocurrency. That can happen. But I do think like if you really want the masses to come in and really want this industry to be legitimized and Bitcoin to end up on balance sheets and Bitcoin to become this digital world reserve currency, you kind of need it. So like you need regulation. You need to be able for regulators to identify it and for companies to know exactly how to handle it, right? Yeah. So what I'm anticipating is I think there's going to be strict regulations just to scare us off, right? So I think there's going to be very strict regulations coordinated from the US and the EU within the next year, like probably within the next six months. They're going to bring it out. I think it's going to lead to a massive crash. And I think after that crash, people start realizing how good this is for the industry. Like now actually you can do all these transactions and you know facilitate all these new, like this entire new economy built on Bitcoin. So yeah, it's it's... Like, I, I don't think, like, in the short term, it could be very bad. In the long, I don't think it's, it's such a... If you have the question of regulation or not, then I would eventually personally say, yeah, rather regulation, because that, that results in, in more uh, real adoption, and that's what you would want for something that you support. But the fear that I have is... And that's also... There are a couple of uh, good articles and podcasts around where the EU currently stands uh, in terms of the, the Mika. So to, to give like a really brief uh, overview, uh, the Mika is the upcoming regulation in the EU for, uh, for crypto assets. And any company more or less allowing interaction with crypto assets uh, is classified as a crypto asset service provider. And if you're one of those companies, um, then there's obviously a lot of demands that you have to make. And one of them is to identify the wallets uh, of people that interact with the platform. And it now kind of depends on the member states of the EU whether that's enforced, yes or no. And now, as you know, recently in the Netherlands that became enforced. And in the future, uh, and this is where it becomes kind of hairy, is in the future, um, you right now you have to apply in the Netherlands to offer your services here. And if you go to another country, you will also have to apply there because now it's very fragmented. So the coming, the coming years, I'm, I'm very sure it will continue to be this fragmented. So you, as a crypto company, you have to literally apply and do uh, legal assessments in every single member state that you want to operate in. And those things are super costly for, for, for smaller companies. Um, and I think in the end, 
what is what is the problem there? It's not the fact that there is regulation because that's just a sign of adoption. It's pretty pretty neat. Um, it's just the fact that yeah, it's, it's hard. On the one hand, you have this super evolving technology, and I mean, we're also uh, and I know you definitely are. You're like more into the cutting edge kind of crypto projects, and the more cutting edge you get. Uh, and I'm not an expert on, on these compliance related uh, topics, but the more cutting edge you get, the more fuzzy it becomes to classify them as anything realistic. And then, yeah, then you get into kind of a war zone between compliance and, and innovation. I, 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 do, I do absolutely understand what, like, and I agree as well that, that the regulators, like the more they rush it out, the worse it's going to be yeah. because it, it's, it's so new. Like we've never had a decentralized type of money. We never had a peer-to-peer -peer, like where you can just, where I can literally now just send Bitcoin to someone in Mexico. Yeah. Like the, the, we've never had a system like that, you know? And then there's, there's the layers, layers of encryption and the new technologies that are coming out and the marketplaces and decentralized exchanges. And it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it's difficult. Eh? Zoe, can I ask you something for, for you guys at Bucks, right? So, you need to comply now with this whole the Dutch bank um, regulation. Yep. This obviously takes a lot of resources and effort in order to, to comply. But then doesn't this process make it way more difficult for new startups to evolve in this space, to even get started there? Because, yes. okay, how does this work? How do you look at, how do you look at that? Yeah, I mean, it's a... It's a... I'm really on the fence in this, right? Like uh, similarly to, to what Jordan just said, and I guess we all agree is like regulation is a pretty, pretty cool and good thing. Um, and there's also good sides to it, honestly, because what we, what we also are seeing is that um, now that we, now that the Netherlands is becoming more uh, aware of this and other countries are seeing like, oh, okay, you know, there is actually some, uh, some structure to the way you want to deal with crypto assets. You can actually, hook into the traditional finance system a lot easier. So when we were still Blockport, we were just uh, an ICO funded crypto company, which is kind of like the worst of the worst for some of these companies. It, yeah, good luck getting a bank account, right? It's very, very difficult and it, it took us a lot of effort. So when that's like a benefit, you do get that. But for the smaller companies, um, this registration of, uh, costs money and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty difficult process to go through. Uh, I can't go into, into details, of course, but overall, um, yeah, it's, it's for the startups, it's probably quite killing because even if you raise a lot of funds, you'll, you'll have to reserve the first, I don't know, 100K maybe for yeah. hiring people to figure out how this stuff works. Then the whole process itself and trainings, uh, then all the documentation, uh, you, you, can, you can keep going on. So are there any crypto havens right now, crypto countries where regulation is not required in this sense for, for companies like Bucks? Because this will lead eventually for all these companies to leave the Netherlands, I assume. I don't know if they'll, they'll, they'll leave because I think rather the, the companies that have the funds and the skills will stay. They will stay, but the new so, ones. Yeah, the new ones will probably find. Yeah, I mean, Malta is, is progressive on this stuff. You have uh, the Crypto Valley in Zug in, in, in Switzerland. That's, that's more, uh, that's just a hub basically. And they're also just in Switzerland, more pragmatic. I know that Singapore is, is uh, pragmatic with this stuff, but there were also some changes there. I'm not really up to date on that. Maybe you know more about that, Jorn? Um, I know from, from yeah, but basically I, I know the seven countries and I know that Bulgaria is working on very pro crypto regulation and Japan is, the, the funny thing is Japan is really, it's, it's quite, quite loose with the regulation regarding crypto, but Japanese people seem to have lost interest in crypto. Really? 
So yeah, the trading volume, if you look at Japan, like the trading volumes have been going down the whole time. All right, that's weird. That's very yeah. weird. Yeah, relatively to the rest, it's, but um, from, for the rest, I don't know. I, I think Malta is really where it's happening right now, isn't it? Yeah. Seems like it. Yeah. Re reason why I'm asking this, Zoe, is because I'm questioning in to what degree regulation is really an issue because they can only regulate it if all the countries start to regulate it, right? Or am I not seeing this correctly? It depends on what avenue you take, I guess. I mean, I recently had a discussion with a friend about, it depends on what kind of level you look at it. Like if you look at it from a startup or company level, yeah. then, uh, then perhaps it's not as disastrous, right? You can raise funding, you can say, okay, we're gonna incorporate in Malta, all good. Um, but from a, if you are pro-EU, or even if you're not pro-EU, but you would just like to see the countries here uh, hook into something that we believe is going to be part of the new economy, yeah, then seeing the EU uh, chase innovation out of the, the Eurozone or, or member states is, is not really a great thing, right? I mean, you want to cultivate innovation. We have to compete with other continents uh not because of fierceness but rather because we just want to evolve we have to compete and when we are sending out these things because we're just so slow with regulations obviously there's going to be a, a country that says hey guys all come here uh you know you singapore did a similar thing you could get tax free you could get a lot, lot of tax benefits if you're a crypto company there yeah and no capital gains tax yeah exactly that was it thank uh, you yeah it's nuts like uh, they all go there yeah, it makes sense. You know, it's, it, it makes sense. And I think Estonia, it's, Estonia wants to do that, but the problem is that they're part of the European Union. Because I remember that they, they wanted to issue their own digital, like they wanted to issue their own cryptocurrency as well, like a national cryptocurrency. Yeah. You didn't allow that, but yeah, like it's, it's, all the money is going to move there. So I, th I think that is, that is also an important factor to take into account with regulation, right? Like the U.S. doesn't want to, like the U.S. Silicon Valley, especially Silicon Valley, got big by the internet boom, right? They don't want to miss out on the next boom, and Europe got kind of left behind on the internet booms. They don't want to miss out again. So, like that—that's kind of my my biggest hope in this whole story that they they do understand. You know, if they if they make the regulation too stringent, all the innovation is going to move elsewhere. Yeah, that's kind of my estimation of the current situation because i think we are too deep in already and the u.s will never regulate things so badly that these companies will leave because they know this hurts them bad i at least i hope this is the case i'm not sure of course but i would hope that this is where we are right now yeah and i mean and then you also get the question of uh and that's so funny or, or strange about the crypto industry it's decentralized right so we are, and I'm noticing that in myself as well, we are thinking from a centralized mindset, but I was, I was reading through the, um, the, the Mika regulation again, the EU stuff, and then you start thinking like, okay, but what is there to attack if there is no entity? Like there, there is no, like for example, behind, there's an Ethereum foundation, for example, but with quite a lot of really DAO-like projects, like decentralized autonomous organizations, there might not be any registered entity uh, so how how do you how do you deal with those? You things? can attack the users, right? Uh, sorry. You can attack the users. Everyone who holds Bitcoin has to uh, I don't know pay ninety percent tax or something like that. Yeah, th that's one of the avenues you can take. But the thing is, um, it, it, the, the the company itself or the the asset itself is hard to directly attack. You can you can you cannot really hold anything accountable. You can try to like drain the the ecosystem, 
but that's a whole different battle to fight, I think, than, than if you just have an organization that you can literally write a letter and say, hey, guys, stop. Uh, so that's well, going to be an interesting involvement. They, they try to control the narrative, right? What you saw in 2017 is that what, what, what you see a lot from like, the centralized world is they try to control the narrative. They, they say it's a bubble. It's only used for fi like terrorist financing. It's like the, all those basic stories. So that's, that's, that's the main weapon you have and the fiat on and off ramps. But yeah. for me, like the, the cowboy side in me is really, really hoping for all these decentralized software applications to go online fast, you know, like, I'm really waiting for a decentralized exchange for Bitcoin. Okay. So an exchange built around Bitcoin with no, cent no, no centralized components whatsoever. So you can just trade Bitcoin to stable coins, maybe even to Ethereum without ever leaving the blockchain and crypto ecosystem. As soon as those things happen, then, then it's on. It's a bit too early for it right now. What is your estimation of how long that will take? Well, my, my best bet right now is you guys know I'm a fan of Blockstack. So I am a fan of Blockstack specifically for this reason, because they decided, hey, why instead of building our own blockchain, why not use the most secure network in the world and build our network on top of that? So they anchored their network to the Bitcoin blockchain to make it secure. And they also enabled it to uh, do cross swaps. So you can swap Bitcoin against stacks and the other way around. And Bitcoin is also part of the mining process. So you can um, stake your Stacks tokens to earn Bitcoin or the other way around. And what they do with all this is they're trying to make, or they're trying to make decentralized finance possible directly on Bitcoin, but also decentralized identities, decentralized applications, everything on top of blockchain or uh, Bitcoin. So they use their own blockchain to make it scalable. So the transact, because Bitcoin is too slow and too expensive to do high volume, like high volume um, applications. So that's what Blockstack does. They, they handle the scalability, but the security and the currency is Bitcoin. So for me, this is, it's, it's, it's still early. I've been looking through the ecosystem. They got like 500 different dApps built on Blockstack already. So that's, that's a lot of work and a lot of applications. But um, right, right now, it's not, it's not getting traction yet. Like the main had only launched the 14th of January, I believe. So we're only a month in. But yeah, the, the, it's, it's super promising what I'm seeing there. I didn't know too much about Stacks. It reminds me a little bit of uh, something that Komodo is doing. And it's not really prominent anymore. But they also use the Bitcoin blockchain basically to snapshot their chain into to uh, guarantee security because it's just way more efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, can't, you can't beat the security of Bitcoin. No. no, that's really one of the most solid. I also don't know like whether in the future, if it becomes the reserve currency, I wonder um, what the kind of effect will be between the security and the fact that we have a, a, then a, a, an ended supply already. And then on top of that, what the fluctuation, the price fluctuations will do with the kind of strength of the network, right? Because if people want to overspeculate, they might take... Uh, uh, some of the kind of money out of Bitcoin, which will in turn uh, reduce the effectiveness of the network. Uh, so there, there might be some risk there in the end. Um, but, but so far, it seems like it will continue to be like the most secure Bitcoin. And then you can still hard fork, right? So probably there are still options there. That's so cool about this technology. Like whatever avenue you take, it's like, well, that could happen. But then, yeah, but we can still hard fork and, and, and fix it. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's sweet. Yeah. Pure Darwinism. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. All right, so uh, yeah, block stack or stacks, I'm also really uh, hyped about that. Are there any other projects right now that you think Jorn or Zoe as well uh, we need to keep an eye on? I'm, um, I, I, I gotta admit, I, I'm, I'm invested in way too many projects. I've invested like 16. <laughs> yeah, I <know>. yeah. <laughs> I've invested okay. in 60. Yeah, I, I think my, I just counted the, the other week, it was 54. <laughs> and this week I added like five, six more. Nice. That, that, that's, the, that's kind of the thing though. There's so many ideas in this space, right? You, you got Bitcoin, which is digital gold. And then you got Ethereum, which is a decentralized global supercomputer. And then you got decentralized finance, which is taking the whole finance world and putting it on software. But that's just the start. <laughs> then you have then you have NFTs, which are like digital, like uh, cryptographic representations of digital items. That sounds a bit hard, but it means that you can put a video and make it authentic. You can make a, a piece of digital art. You can make um, or video game items like anything that's digital. You can make it authentic, like a Bitcoin. You can prove that it's yours and that it's unique. And you can transfer it to other people. So that's happening with game items, but also with mute, with songs, with videos, with photos. <clears throat> so that's the NFT space. Then you got the metaverse space, which is building virtual reality based on blockchain. So instead of one company owning the world and the assets and the games, everybody owns and builds it. So yeah, I'm 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 investing in all those all those different segments. I'm trying to find the best projects and build portfolios and all these different themes and then i i update when there's new projects or when one goes up really really fast and then there's the data data economy mm -hmm. that the data economy i'm super enthusiastic about because it, it it makes sense data is the most valuable asset on the planet right now in a way just because of the insights and it's training artificial intelligence so it's um, but we we haven't we haven't found the right economic model to really make a um, an honest and fair data economy you know it's data has been mostly been captured by a lot by, by a few entities and they have the best ai best train like they, they can train their ai best so they kind of get this how do you say it, like this exponential advantage yeah and the data economy can open that up and give a lot of different companies give them options to train their ai get data that they otherwise couldn't use and people can sell their data on companies so i i think data the data economy is, is super interesting and ocean the ocean protocol is leading in this space and also by by a wide margin i don't really see the, any competitor that that really comes close to what ocean has right now so yeah that's um yeah i, I can list projects for for hours if you want <laughs> <laughs> no i was just curious about the the main ones that you are watching right now but yeah, okay that, that's that's bitcoin ocean block and that makes um, it's 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 kind of an upgrade to Ethereum, right? But it's it connects to other blockchains, so it's cross-chain. So you can have uh, Bitcoin on Polkadot, Ethereum on Polkadot, and a bunch of other blockchains. You can do cross um, cross DeFi, so you can do decentralized finance from all these different blockchains and all the stable coins from different projects. And see. So, yeah. I, I keep being uh, uh, surprised by the amount of stuff that you name. Like there's there's. Uh, there's stuff that you, you send over every now and then. I'm like, oh, there's another one. There's another one. I think my, I increased the amount of projects that I invest in based on stuff that you've mentioned here and there uh, by twofold, uh, simply because I, it, I just read up, up on it and it's like, yeah, that's actually quite interesting. Uh, and there's, there's way more to discover there. 
Yeah, that, but that, that's the thing. Like I promised myself, like every month I promised myself not to buy into new projects. <laughs> but I, I keep re- yeah, but I, I keep reading and every time I'm like, this is a new idea. Like this is literally, I haven't come across this idea yet or this idea is finally, there's a team that's actually seems capable of doing this, you know? So I, yeah, you just, and, and it moves so fast that I feel like you kind of have to, have to do it. Like you have to keep on investing because the ideas are there, but who's actually going to execute that idea and make it real? It's completely unpredictable. How does your, uh, your process uh, look like? Because you have to make some kind of value judgment in order to, to, to see this project. Yes. This other project. No. You know, if you see this many, many white papers and, and projects. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, it really depends on the moment. Like right now I'm more or less told myself, I don't want to invest anymore, but I invested like three hours ago in a new project. So it's not really working out, but um, nah, I, I, I usually just scout everything. Like I'm subscribed to six different newsletters, which I get in every week. I'm on Twitter. I just, I, I look into CoinList and Masari and like those pages. And I really go deep into the archives, you know, just to pick up, just to pick up nuggets of information here and there. And then I find a project and then, Look at their website, look at the team, look at their investors. Like, does everything, is everything legit? And then I look at the total address, addressable market. So, you know, how big is this market? Maybe the team is brilliant, but if the market is worth five to 10 million, you know, it's, it's not worth it. So, yeah. How do you assess the market size? Sorry. It kind of depends, right? Like, so if you look at the data economy, you can see what the total amount of value is being derived from data. And that's, it's, it's really hard to exactly pinpoint. But if you look at the companies like Google or Facebook or Uber, you know, they're, they're mostly data driven. So if you look at their market caps, you can kind of see where the data economy is going. And also in the gaming, for the gaming industry, the same, you know, in virtual reality industry, you can, you have, like from the traditional space, you have figures, okay, this is how big the gaming industry is. This is how big the virtual reality in- industry is. Okay. So kind of, yeah. Okay, so you just, you use the basically current industries as proxies for estimating how big that industry could be if crypto were to play a big role in that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's that's the ultimate scenario, right? That that would be if they own 100% of the market. So usually I take like 1% of that. Could they achieve that? Does it make sense? Right, yeah. It's nuts also that like this, the, the whole crypto uh, world is, is so diverse, um, but it's also just such a fraction of the actual value still out there to be to be done. Yeah, it's like one true. We were celebrating 1.5 trillion now, right? That that's nothing. Like the whole the, the capital in the world, that the estimates are like 240 trillion, something like that. That's a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> All right, um, I'm curious. I think my uh, my topics for this first uh, chat are are checked off. Do you have any do you have anything to add, guys? Anything that you want to want to touch upon? I had uh, just I mean, oh, sorry, go. Yeah, no, go, go for it. I just have a question for you, Zoe, because um, Niels, you just mentioned that risk. You know, the quantum computing risk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. 
And I just don't know enough. Like from what I get is that if if there's quantum supremacy for one country, they would crack anything. Like they would crack banks open. They would crack not just Bitcoin, you know, because it's often mentioned as a threat to Bitcoin. But the way I understand is that quantum supremacy is a threat to all our digital systems. But well, not necessarily. Um, I mean, the thing is, like we're and that that's usually how these how these things go, right? Like. We find out that this could be a real thing, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and, and from that point on, we, we, we do anticipate that the closer we get to that innovation, that it will actually become a reality. But in the meantime, uh, so there, there's actually a cool podcast about that where Vitalik Buterin is asked a similar question. And um, there's actually uh, already a few algorithms that seem, but that's the thing you don't know yet because we don't have the technology yet, but they seem to be quantum resistant. Uh, Grover's algorithm and Shor's algorithms uh, from the top of my head. Uh, and those could already be applied uh, right now. It's just the thing with, with cryptography is, because that's, I guess, what you're asking, right? Like cryptography wise, what's the risk? Um, the issue is you can't, that, that's kind of a sucky thing. You can't prove that it will work without trying it for long enough. Like you have to run crypto in the wild, cryptography, and let it be attacked by well, basically as many people as you can possibly imagine. And in this case, it would be as many like quantum computers uh, or, 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 or qubits as you can imagine. And then at some point you have to say, like, okay, yeah, it doesn't seem like it will ever get broken uh, and, and that's it. But it does, it, it does really look like um, it will have like a massive impact. So uh, there will be a lot of companies and I can't even imagine other forms of structures that will be, uh, yeah, severely impacted or destroyed by, by something of, of that, of that skill. Um, but technologically it should be something that we can protect ourselves, uh, from that. That's what it looks like, but it's, it's, it's really, it's again, with all these things, it's like a co competition kind of, kind of thing, right? We just have to outcompete this innovation, uh, with cryptography. Yeah, but that, that's the thing, right, with cryptography. It's, it's, it works really well until someone like Alan Turing comes along, just cracks your whole code, and then you lose the war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the impact can be, can be pretty, pretty darn se severe. Uh, I mean, overall, it seems like we, we now, we learned from the war scenario enough to, to kind of know, like, okay, we have to keep investing in... Uh, and that's actually, it, it's a nice, it's a very nice tie back to, to crypto and decentralization. Um, because when you look at the history of the development of the computer, and, and especially around the uh, Alan Turing scenario, that was actually the first kind of situation where that became um, yeah, more standardized, is that governments and, and uh, uh, education institutions were collaborating, right? So governments were funding a lot of research uh, for the effort of war. And there they developed a lot of technology that we now currently rely on. And that has been continuing for, for, for decades. The problem is if we are, if we are looking at crypto and it, you know, kind of diffusing the power of government and the ability for them to invest in certain in projects like that, we might end up in with issues uh, simply because everything is based on market market effects uh, because there's little incentive for the market to start developing crypto only for the betterment of uh, event, the eventual, you know, like stabilization of society, which is the main interest of governments in, in, in well, was the main interest of governments in many cases. Uh, so I, I'm curious, like from the crypto industry, you hope that these projects will have that mindset, the ideology of investing in the best crypto, because if we don't, then we might destroy ourselves under market effects. So there seems to be a balance there. 
Interesting. Hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. We should we maybe invite someone in one of these talks that, that knows stuff about this, uh, that, that we can zoom in uh, with a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, true. I'm also super interested in the zero knowledge proofs. Absolutely. Like that, that zero knowledge proves that, that it's, it's new technology. I don't know. Have you heard about Niels? No. What is it? So basically what zero knowledge proves enable is you can, um, so say we, we, you and I would transact and, or we would interact with each other and we want to know that, um, I want to know that I'm talking to you and the other way around, but we don't want to give any information. That's what zero knowledge proves and may make possible. So I can prove that I'm me without giving anything away. So I can prove that I have this amount of money in my account without giving the amount of money in my account or my account address. And you can do this with any type of information. How and does that work? The, sorry, do you, <laughs> sorry, how does that <laughs> work? <laughs> Please enlighten us. <laughs> so, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but I know that Z, uh, ZKs uh, are are implemented like all over the place in, in many of these like new modern projects. Uh, a technology I was recently reading about that kind of does so, like has similar mm, similar promises is MPC, uh, is a multi-party computation. And it's, um, so basically how that works, it's a good example actually, it's the salary uh, example is, um, how do you explain this simply? Because I remember we kind of went, uh, I tried to explain the uh, halting problem uh, to Nielsen. I realized like I should have done like a simpler uh, example, but. <laughs> oh, thanks, Zoe. <laughs> no, no, it's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel um, like a retard in this, in this, in this chat. Well, you, you coined the term uh, golden retriever mindset. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm uh, full on golden retriever now. <laughs> what, what, what is this? MBTs. Uh, yeah, MPC is basically, so it's actually um, a potential alternative to multisig. Um, and it's been more, getting more and more common. And there has been a lot of critique on it simply because it's developed proprietary and not so uh, open source. But basically what you can do with MPC is we all know that we sign a transaction uh, with, uh, with a private key, right? Um, but it's, it's, we also have so many scenarios where having one private key really sucks. So you need to have two just because you want to have two people that can sign or you want to have a backup key. You can imagine all these scenarios. Um, the issue there is that um, uh, multi-sig uh, multi is, is basically dependent on the blockchain itself. So multi-sig for blockchain A will work differently from multi-sig uh, in blockchain B. That's quite likely. And this kind of sucks for the development ecosystem because then you have to like build for all these blockchains. Um, and also on top of that, you actually need to have the private key itself to sign a transaction. Uh, and that is also in itself a risk you might not want to have. So then there's a technology called MPC where you don't actually need the key. Everyone has a part of the key. And this is something that's more commonly done just like split up the key in, in multiple uh, uh, pieces. The cool thing is to sign a transaction, and this is the, the zero knowledge part, to sign a transaction together with three people having a part of the key, you don't actually need to communicate your part of the key. Um, and this is exactly it. So for example, we three would sign a transaction. We would have to combine all our parts of the key to create one transaction, because otherwise there is no key, but we don't have to communicate to each other what part we have. And the, the way that kind of works is, um, you you combine your own so maybe we can do it with numbers i have a number that you should not be able to know uh, like my salary for example um, a, a really basic example i can give is i take a random number 
uh, and I add it on top of the, uh, the salary number that I have. And then, um, from, then I share that number with you with the random number that you don't know. So for example, I earn a thousand euros and I add a random number to it and I share that number with you and you add your salary on top of that number. Um, and then, uh, then I get that number back. I subtract the random number that I initially added. Uh, and when there's multiple people in the number that results, then I don't know exactly what your salary is. And I don't know what Niels's salary is. I just know the uh, salary of all of us combined. Yeah. Okay. And, then, and I can take an average of that, or I can use that number, but I, I don't know what part of that number is Niels's or what part of that number is, is, is yours, Jorn's. Uh, and that's kind of how, how these things work in a very simple way. And you can do super cool stuff with it. But you still have a lot of contextual data on my salary then. I mean, I can, I can average. So if we do with all three of us, for example, then yeah. I end up with a total, like the sum of all our salaries, I can average. Uh, that's definitely what I can do. But I, 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 other than that, I don't really know. Oh, but if, okay, if you make 10K and Jordan and I, we make 500K yeah. uh, or so $500, uh, dollars, then it's 11K. Then you know, oh, these guys don't make shit, you know, and you can really have a interpretation of that number then. Yeah, so that's a good point. So there are situations where if all our parts kind of diverge a lot, then yeah. you get into trouble. Uh, but when you have a key, you can you can take care, of course, of um, uh, of something like that not happening. Yeah, it's hard to explain exactly uh, why that is easier with a key, and I wouldn't I wouldn't know all the details to explain that properly. But with like more um, uh, strict kind of parameters like a cryptographic key rather than a salary number, which is a different uh, situation, of course, uh, then you can, you can take care of those things. All right. I really like that example with the, the multi-sig, but then with zero, zero knowledge proof, that, that, that sounds incredible. Yeah, it's, it's actually, uh, you would probably love it because um, uh, it's becoming more and more modern in the crypto industry as well. Slowly they're adopting it. Like you see some custodians, like these super modern custodian parties, uh, they now offer uh, MPC technology instead of multisig technology because they can develop way more efficiently because they, you can imagine MPC is simply uh, to split the key. And a key is a super like generic concept, like a, a key can be used in any blockchain. Uh, so you don't need to be dependent on the specific multisig implementation of a blockchain. You can still split a key in multiple parts. Uh, so these co companies can just develop one solution for all the chains. Uh, that's super efficient. That is, because that, that's basically the, the holy grail for wallets, isn't it? It's just one key to rule them all. Yeah. Instead of yeah. All, having all these different, uh, these private keys, just have one private key, which gives access to all your other private keys. That's what you would hope. Yeah. And on the other hand, like that's, and that's, this is such a cool example. That's centralization, centralization right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you get like this balance and it, it's, it's, it's a weird, uh, uh, weird avenue to think in. Yeah. All right. I have a lot to think about <laughs> this last part really blew my mind. Okay, cool. Um, Zoe, do you have anything uh, you want to bring forth? I mean, uh, like I have a lot of questions to, to, to both of you, I guess, uh, because uh, I mean, we're in the same groups, right? So we communicate uh, about, or like I say, the same groups so we communicate a lot about these things, but I have also to you, you're like how you select your project was super interesting to hear. Um, but I'm also, I'm, I'm curious, you, you select on, uh, on kind of industries, um, but if you have to name kind of a, a industry where you think this in, in the near future, the nearest future, we will see some real results because to be honest, I'm super positive, like super bullish on the results that we're going to see, but 
I don't have a good clue when the first ones are going to actually come in, you know? Yeah, well, it's, it's, wouldn't you agree that decentralized finance is in a way already, like, it's working, right? Yeah. Because it's doing what it's supposed to, and it's still very basic, you know, and Ethereum kind of slows it down and makes it expensive, but in essence, it's, it's working. So I, I think we're, like, what, what's happening now is that DeFi is just going to get built out. So, you know, like there's so much money in the space right now and so much experimentation that I, I, don't, I think DeFi right now is an unstoppable train because you also have DeFi, like you have DeFi obviously on Ethereum, but you're also getting DeFi on Cosmos, DeFi on Algorand, DeFi on Polkadot. Yeah. So I think like the Darwinism, I, I think it's just going to be survival of the fittest and it's just going to, I don't think the decentralized finance, except re again, regulation, obviously, but. I don't really see that. I um, see that slowing down a lot. But. Okay. And then in that realm, I just realized I have a big follow-up question that actually is really sitting on my mind um, because it's kind of a, it's a values torn kind of thing. What do you guys think of BNB? <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, it's, it's, it's valuable nowadays. They have a, a chain, uh, part of it, one of them is built on Tendermint, uh, the, the Binance chain, and you have the smart chains and Ethereum fork, but it's a coin owned by a centralized exchange. I think it's a ticking time bomb. Okay. Like it's, um, it, it, it tries, you know, it tries to merge like centralized with decentralized, but in the end it's, it's product. You can do the stake, staking services, but I think there there's a lot of regulators waiting to take it down. Yeah, that's a good point. It's 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 the most juicy target out there, uh, probably. Yeah, you know they've they've had this um, they've had this little scandal in the U.S. and they already ran from China, then they ran from. I think it was Japan, but it also could have been Korea, but they just, like the first two years, they were just underrun from the law. And you know, with the, the KYC checks that are not in place and all those fiat currency on ramps, and it's, all right, I but don't know. Like, then I have another question really for you guys. Good. Then I have another question. What do you think uh, of Doge? <laughs> <laughs> if we're gonna play this game. <laughs> I bought some Doge recently, so I'm <laughs> talking more on, man. Did you? <laughs> I was, it was just like, it was full on speculation. So I was really like, I, I, I absolutely obviously don't believe in, in, in the cons. Like there is really not, nothing to believe in, but uh, yeah, it could go up, right? It's speculation. I, I yeah. think Doge is, is the perfect exemplification of, the, of our internet culture. Mm. And also kind of of the, the times, you know, with this GameStop movement and everything is that, that a lot of, and also, you know, this goes a lot deeper and probably not for this, this podcast, but just, just the way um, money printing kind of screwed up the entire economics and the wealth distribution in countries. Like, I, I think all of that is kind of coming out and I think Doge is just this perfect nihilistic representation of internet and meme culture. Like if we say it's money, it's money. And I think, <laughs> yeah, true. Like, and it is, you know, like I, I can go, like it's liquid. I can go with my Dogecoin right now. I can just go to exchanges and sell it, which means it has value, which means it has real money. So if, if, if there's a guy right now setting up shop, you know, setting up an e-commerce platform with Dogecoin, I can buy stuff with my Dogecoin. So in essence, it's money. 
Yeah. Oh, fair enough. I, I fully agree with that. Um, it's, it's more just that if something like this can thrive, then why not BNB, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I, I just wanted to say like, it, it's in a way it's a big fuck you. The whole Dogecoin is a big fuck you to the whole idea of having value underlying an asset. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I think in a way it's beautiful. I don't think it's sustainable. What, what cracked me up so much is that the founder of Dogecoin has posted his long message two years ago. Like, guys, stop buying my coin. It has no value. And I stopped developing this thing like half a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then Elon Musk starts pumping it. It's oh, like, man. <laughs> but that's, that, that's kind of what I mean with the nihilism. Is like the Doge or the nihilism, maybe not, that's not the right word, but just that... that Bitcoin opened up the floodgates about, you know, a redefinition of money. And Dogecoin is exactly, is like the perfect example of that in a way that, you know, like money, we, we're redefining this whole thing called money. So why not Dogecoin? You know, like I do see a place for Dogecoin for like, it could be the currency of Reddit. I don't think they're going to do it, but like something like that. I do see that emerge that it's just, you know, this meme coin that has a massive following in the community around it. It's, it's, Okay, but then it becomes sustainable again, to use your word. I think that's the key here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be sustainable. Like right now, these prices, you know, it is like what's what Zoe's saying. It's, it's super speculative. But it, it, yeah, sorry. No, please finish. I just had a random thought. I'll share it in a bit. No, I was just like, it, it could be money. Like that's the cool thing with the internet. Like we can just meme this thing into existence. Yeah. So I was just thinking basically the same thing is like, Previously, I've always thought to, to have money, you need it to have utility, right? So you need to accept it first for, for certain things and then, and then it becomes money. But now what we're seeing is no, it's not necessary. It's, it, it can be total bullshit. As long as people uh, subscribe to it, basically, they have attention and they put maybe some money in it, then it's just valuable and it's waiting to be utilized. So then Reddit will maybe say, you know, fuck it, we're gonna use Dogecoin now. Uh, and, and then it becomes an, an actual utility. Uh, it's pretty nuts. Like you just have to create value out of thin air and then it will find a use. It seems like that. That's yeah. Right. yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's all network effects in the end. So yeah. I, I like the phrase, we have to meme it into existence. <laughs> I love that. I think that's what our life should be about. <laughs> we just should meme ourselves into, into existence and into success. I mean, it's nuts, right? It's like attention. That's also maybe for another podcast, uh, but it's, it's also such a strange thing is that the way attention works now on the internet, like we're, we're already talking about the idea if we only can, because that's what memes are all about, right? So if we can get enough, enough attention to an idea that is easily transferable, transferable between people, uh, then we can create money or we can create value, which is just such a radically different idea. Uh, compared to what we did in the past you had to like set up something that was initially considered valuable by a small group of people and scale it out nowadays it's just as long as i can get enough attention then i can come with the value later it's it's yeah it's, it's so fascinating cool yeah, that's what i doing right <laughs> <laughs> ah, fuck off <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're nearly regulated <laughs> awesome, awesome what do you want to say you i was thinking that like money almost becomes like the fashion industry just fake it till you make it. Yeah, good. Yeah, good comparison. I never thought of that. Isn't that what fiat money is? 
<laughs> but, they, but that's the thing like fiat money started with gold like real yeah, money okay. real scarcity and then became bullshit and now now it's kind of the other way around it's too much bullshit and now we have to go back to yeah now we have to find like what is actually what, what's going to be long-term value like value stable it's like a rubber band effect like we shot into the side of bullshit and now it's like snapping back uh to the side of value hopefully it's just de-bullshitting instead of, instead of decentralization, right? <laughs> that, that, that's quite a nice paradigm to look at the world like that. Just bullshit and then de-bullshitting. <laughs> so end result of this whole podcast episode is the mental model yeah, of de-bullshitting. <laughs> I, I, think, <laughs> I think this was a, a very successful first uh, chat. We should definitely keep it up because uh, right now the, uh, the markets are, they gave us enough to talk about as we, uh, as we just saw. Um, this will definitely be the case in the coming months. Uh, so I want to thank you for that. Um, yeah, that's it for me. And let's, uh, let's keep in touch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm uh, looking forward to the next one. Thanks for all the insight. Good to do, guys. Awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay. See ya. Cool. Ciao.